does the future scare you? You know, we're currently dealing with a worldwide pandemic that has touched the lives of everyone, whether they actually catch the virus or not. And no one knows what to expect if they do catch it or how long COVID will be a threat. We're also dealing with the results of an election, some aspects of which no one anticipated. And we're facing political changes that will no doubt affect all of us one way or another. Indeed, we live in a world that is politically, economically, and environmentally unstable. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And most of us are uncomfortable with empty promises that tomorrow will be better than today. We don't worry about tomorrow because Jesus taught us not to, but he didn't promise us that everything would be better tomorrow. He told us not to worry about it because each day has enough trouble of its own, making it clear that we should simply face the challenges of life one day at a time. That's obviously good advice. But it's not easy. It's not easy to face life courageously. Even the Apostle Paul found himself paralyzed by fear on at least one occasion. He tells us in 1 Corinthians that when he arrived in Corinth, he came to them in fear and in much trembling. And then after he moved out of the synagogue due to resistance, from the Jewish leadership, and people started responding to the gospel, he apparently had a panic attack in city after city. As people started responding to the gospel, the opposition had mounted, and the opposition often became physical. He was beaten, stoned, and driven out of town. When he was afraid it was going to happen in Corinth, Luke records for us, and the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. And he settled there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Paul found the courage to continue. And he would later write to the Corinthians, Therefore, being always of good courage. Paul would have us of good courage. And he gives us the keys to courage that make it possible in our text for today. The first key, as Paul himself discovered, is simply faith. 1 Corinthians 5, continuing in our study, verses 6 through 8. Therefore, always being of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight, we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body 
and to be at home with the Lord. Again, whenever we read a thereafter, we should ask ourselves, what's it there for? I mean, a therefore, not thereafter. Did I say thereafter? I did. All right, let's back up. Whenever we read a therefore, we should ask ourselves, <laughs> sorry, what is therefore? We've done that so many times. Well, the therefore of verse 6 takes us back to what Paul has been saying about our earthly tent being replaced by a building in heaven. And as we noted last week, Paul was talking about our body. Someday, this mortal body will be replaced by an immortal one or an eternal one. You know, death is not the end for us. For as Paul reminded us back in chapter 4, he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also. Someday, we will be given a spiritual body, probably similar to the one Jesus had after the resurrection. And our future spiritual body is guaranteed by the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives even now. And that alone should give us courage. By taking away our biggest fear, the fear of death. You know, if the worst thing that can happen to us is death, we should have nothing to fear. But of course, we do fear other things. Paul was afraid of getting beat up again. And sometimes going through the valley of the shadow of death can frighten us more than death itself. And we tend to forget that our shepherd has promised to walk through the valley with us. Apparently, even Paul had forgotten that. So Jesus reminded him, I am with you. Now, it might be nice if every time we were afraid, we would have a dream in which Jesus would remind us that he is with us. But it really shouldn't be necessary. The last thing Matthew recorded him saying to his disciples was, And lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age. Jesus is with us here and now. Someday we will see him face to face. Someday we will have a body just like his. Someday we will walk with him on streets of gold, and we long for that day. But in the meantime, we walk with him by faith, not by sight. Once Paul had been reminded of the fact that Jesus was with him, he found the courage he needed to face the future with confidence. He knew his unseen Lord was with him. And if we would have good courage for living in this world, we too must learn to see the invisible Christ through eyes of faith. We must trust in his promise to be with us and then make ourselves aware of his presence in our life. How do we do that? We do so by consciously practicing the presence of Jesus. Now, I use that term with some trepidation because some use it to promote a mystical, contemplative approach to sensing the presence of Christ. But I like the sound of it, practicing the presence of Jesus. 
And I think we can practice the presence of Jesus without entering into a, a mystical maze that can lead to occultic practices. Because there are things we can do to keep the presence of Christ a conscious reality in our lives. Obviously, the first thing we can do is stay in his word. We sense his presence as we read his words and read of all he's done and has promised to do for us. And we seldom write letters anymore. But when separated from someone you love, nothing is quite the same as a letter you can actually hold in your hand. So if Jesus seems distant to you, get out his letters and read them again. And then, of course, we can pray. We can talk to him. We can share our thoughts with him, our needs, our desires. And we can express our love to him. We worship him. We sing to him. We serve him. And we fellowship around his table, thanking him for what he did for us on the cross and anticipating the day when we will drink the fruit of the vine with him in his father's kingdom. And we fellowship with others who share a relationship with Jesus. We see him in the lives of fellow believers. Now, I want to expand on that last point a bit. Because of the social distancing that's currently being forced upon us. The current issue of Touchstone has an excellent article entitled, Unsociable Distancing. The author begins by relating a commercial he heard on the radio one morning, which made it clear that the product being offered could be provided with no human contact required. He then referred to studies that showed the beneficial effects of human touch, as well as the detrimental effects of avoiding it. Studies that were conducted, I might add, before COVID restrictions and we're addressing no-touch policies in schools and the isolating effects of cell phones and computers. He then offered the warning, if we permanently adopt a social distancing stance, we will lose part of what makes us human and move farther away from what God has intended for us as part of the created order. He continued, it is not good for the man to be alone, said God, as he looked over all he had created and declared to be good. That is still the case today. It is not good for men and women to be socially distant. Human contact is very much required for both individuals and societies to remain healthy. Continuing to quote from the article, what happens when we no longer experience the physical presence of others because we think that no human contact is required and we must keep our social distance? I think it's telling that Satan came to tempt Jesus only after he had been isolated in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. It is when we are isolated that we are at our most vulnerable Fortunately, the Son of God was equal to the task. 
As for us, not so much. A lot happens to us when we are without physical contact with others for long periods of time, not least that we develop a tendency to devalue others. We start thinking we can operate just fine with no one actually in our proximity. Nowadays, we can be virtually present to others instead, and that's just like being there, right? Wrong. The writer of Hebrews admonished his audience to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. How? By not forsaking the assembling, your own assembling together. Some things can just not be done effectively unless people are physically together. While we can encourage and admonish each other from afar, nothing replaces the touch on the shoulder, the grasp of a hand, or the pat on the back. Ecclesiastes 3.5 does say that there is a time to shun embracing. God is also a good epidemiologist. But that's not the norm. It is vitally important that while we adapt to our current situation, we do not adapt the idea of no human contact required. So wash your hands, wear a mask, practice social distancing, but don't get comfortable with that way of life because the time to embrace will return. Let's not miss the opportunity. To that, I say, amen. Amen. There is much we can do to practice the presence of Jesus, to help us see him with eyes of faith. And when we sense that he is with us, we walk with him by faith. That's the first key that enables us to always be of good courage. We know we're not alone. He is with us. The second key comes from the first. We make it our ambition to please him. Verse 9. Therefore also, we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. Not only do we know Jesus is with us, we long to please him, and that's our ambition, not only in this life, but for all eternity. Our eternal ambition is to please him. Now, a person's ambition is a strong force in his or her life. When we say someone is ambitious, we recognize that they're heading somewhere and won't let anything get in their way, that they're willing to make sacrifices to get where they want to go. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's not so good. It depends on the ambition. Our ambition should be to please our Lord. That should be the driving force in our life. That should overshadow every other consideration of life. That should overshadow even our fears. If we want something bad enough, 
We tend to overlook the risks and dangers and go for it. I do that every time I get on my Harley. By the same token, if we want to please our Lord badly enough, the thought of losing pure esteem or whatever else it might cost us to do so becomes insignificant. Our overriding ambition is to please him. Now, that's not the same thing as a fear of not pleasing him. I don't believe he wants us to go through life filled with anxiety about whether or not we're pleasing him. He doesn't want us going to bed every night defeated, thinking we didn't measure up and that if we'd only tried a little harder, we'd have pleased him and he'd been pleased with us. It's not a struggle to be acceptable that motivates us. The grace of God assures us that even though we really aren't acceptable, he still accepts us. What motivates us is simply a desire to please one who loves us so and has done so much for us. That can certainly be a great motivator in life. We need to build that kind of desire in our life and in the lives of our children. And we do that by remembering all he's done for us. Remembering that he gave his life for us and that he has paid the price for our eternal life. That helps take away the fear of the future and gives us courage to stand before man and before God. That brings us to the last key to courage, judgment, verse 10. For we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he had done, whether good or bad. Does the idea of judgment frighten you? Are you dreading the day you stand before the great white throne of God? I hope not, because if you're in Christ, you don't have to be afraid. If you've been forgiven for your sins, the bad that you've done and even at times continue to do, there is no need to fear judgment. Christ has taken your deserved punishment. He has paid the price for your sins. If, however, you've not accepted his offer to wash away your sins in a watery grave of baptism, if you've not obeyed the gospel, you do have much to fear. For as Paul told us in 2 Thessalonians, the day is coming when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And these, he adds, will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Now that is indeed a judgment to fear. But if we are in Christ, we don't have to fear being cut off from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Christ was cut off from the Father for a time on the cross so we wouldn't have to be eternally. Because of what he did, we no longer have to worry about the negative aspects of judgment. But judgment still motivates us. 
It motivates us to be of good courage and helps us find the strength to stand because judgment for us will be a time of praise from our Lord. It'll be a day when, as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 4 or 5, Jesus will disclose the motives of our heart, motives made pure by our love for him. No longer will men misread our motives and misjudge us. For Jesus will make known to all our love for him and how it motivated us in life. Judgment for us will be a time of praise, a time when God will recount the praiseworthy things we have done in this life, things that perhaps no one, no one even noticed. A time when he would personally thank us and say, well done. A time when he will reward us with perhaps nothing more than a smile of approval, but will reward us nonetheless for what we've done in this life. That motivates us. That empowers us. That gives us courage to do what he would have us do. We all like to be praised. And most of us have learned that the promise of praise is a far greater motivator than the fear of disapproval. And obviously, God knows that too. And he promised to praise us eternally for what we do in life that pleases him. That excites me. That empowers me. That gives me the courage to stand firm. God's eternal approval and praise far outweighs the temporary approval of the world no matter how seductive it might be. Let's never lose sight of that. Let's model it and teach it to our kids as well. You know, we can be of good courage today. And we can face the future with confident courage if we'll focus on three things. Faith, ambition, and judgment. The keys to courage. We walk through life keenly aware that even though he is currently not seen, Jesus is walking through life with us. Because of that, we walk by faith, not by sight. Then, we make his will our will in life. Our ambition, our overriding purpose in life is to please the one who gave his all for us. Lastly, we always keep in mind that he will praise us eternally for all we do for him. That will keep us motivated, even when the going gets rough. Faith, ambition, and judgment. These three things enable us to face life So are you walking by faith this morning? Is it your ambition in life more than anything else to be pleasing to your Lord? And are you looking forward to judgment because you know it will be a time of praise and victory? If not, it can be. 
You can face the future with courage if you'll surrender your all and make him the Lord of your life. We have nothing to fear. Amen? Amen. I pray that's true for you. Surrender to his lordship in all aspects of life. Will be true. Let's sing together. Let's pray first. Father, thank you. Thank you for the promise to, to not only meet our needs, but to go so far beyond them. Help us never to forget that you're with us. Help us to do those things that keep us keenly aware of your presence. Make it our ambition, Lord to serve you, to please you in all that we do. And help us never to forget that a time of praise is coming. Praise that will enable us to not only be in your presence, but to be embraced by you and held by you and loved by you in ways we can see and feel. Thank you, Lord, for that promise. Help us to surrender to your lordship because in doing so, faith will enable us to walk free of fear. In Christ's name.